That's why I appreciate you, man. Because some guys oh, yeah. just late. Some guys just late. But I know there's always something to it with you. So I could appreciate that. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, uh, you know, football season never ends, as we like to say. And uh, it's it's always interesting and busy right after the season because you've got people trying to cherry pick your coaches. You're trying to hold on to them. You're still trying to figure out your roster. You got guys declaring or staying. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's always fun. It's always interesting this time of year. BK, oh, yeah. appreciate you, big dog. Yeah, I'll let y'all get to it. I got uh, Joe Biden on the phone right now. So I'll hey. <laughs> uh, that's going to be a slow-ass conversation. I know that. Oh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hey, in the immortal words of Judy Brown, happiness is a choice. And we're happy you're spending some time with us, Chip and Zay, on our Friday of Free for All Football Friday. Um, Zay. I I don't know why I'm getting a reflection in my glasses. I don't seem to remember that happening in the past. But um maybe I maybe I can survive without him. Um yeah, I was talking to Del Conte, obviously um you know, a hot conversation point is Steve Sarkeesian's current contract he's three years into the six-year deal that he signed the six-year 34.2 million dollar deal that he signed when he was hired in 2021 and just to show you how quickly he has fallen behind the pack according to the usa today coaching salary database he's right now at 5.6 million number 30 in terms of college football coaching salaries, right behind Kansas's Lance Leipold, who's making $5.75 million. Damn, Lance Leipold's making that much in Lawrence? What? They, they, they believe. They believe. Lance Leipold, baby. What do you think about that? I think that's absolutely bogus. That's what I think. Have you seen that stadium? Can we put some of that money into the stadium? I feel like they have, right? They've been yeah, they are innovating. They are okay, because yeah, they they got it. Like, damn, is basketball money that good too, to where it could trickle down to football. No, no. Like, man, gotta have that. That is nuts. Yeah, if they want to, um, you know, be a factor going forward, um. They are, well, and they are, they're investing in their football facilities, but how about this day? And we're going to talk to our man, Lance Taylor coming up here at one uh, 30 ish, but um, seven of the top 10 coaching salaries are in the sec. And you're going to know, obviously the, the, uh, the top of that list, Nick Saban, 11.4 million. Dabo's making 10.88 million a year. Kirby Smart, 
10.7 million. At number three, Ohio State Ryan Day at number four. He's making 10.27 million. Mel Tucker. Oh, Mel. Mel was making 10.015 million dollars. And of course, he got fired at Michigan State for well, things that you've probably already read about um in on TMZ. Uh number yeah, six a freaking creeper. Uh number six, Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly, LSU number six, nine point nine seven five million. Jimbo, oh Jimbo. Jimbo gone, but he was making nine point one five million and and number seven on the list. But number eight, Kentucky's Mark Stoops at nine point oh one three million. Number nine, Tennessee's Josh Heupel, nine million. And number ten, Ole Miss Lane Kiffin, nine million. So I think it's pretty safe to say Steve Sarkeesian will be a ten million dollar man when this meeting with Chris Del Conte happens and things get hammered out 10 million gosh man that's kind of feels like a deshaun watson situation to where you're like man the bar set so high it's just kind of like how can you not pay some of these other guys if mark stoops is getting nine something million like josh heupel too good lord where of course, Sark and his agent are going to go up to CDC and everybody down there in Texas and be like, hey, what's up? I'm trying to get this raise, man. Look at all these guys that haven't done a damn thing. And yeah. look what we just did. Got in the college football playoff with four teams. And now we're going to the SEC with all this momentum. Yeah, you better get me a little bump. What are we talking about here? Like, that's fascinating. You know, Nick Saban makes sense. Kirby Smart makes sense. Jimbo, not really. Uh, We all knew that. Um, Brian Kelly, eh, I mean, it is LSU at the end of the day. But, yeah, when you start getting down to Josh Heupel and Mark Stoops, even Lane Kiffin, I I let Lane Kiffin, you know, he deserves that a little bit just because – Look what he did in the transfer portal. But, yeah, man, that's – I get it, Sark. I get it. I get why you want that raise compared to some of your other peers in the SEC. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, apologies for my my tardiness on that. But, um, yeah, lots, lots going on, lots of chatter, um, and – you know, or okay, so I don't even know if I should bring this up, Zay. But the freaking AD Mitchell possibly returning has resurfaced. Oh I I was told that all right, let me read this text exactly because it's I'm I'm still waiting on clarification, but here's here's what uh, I said um, to a source who's very close to the situation. I said, "Ad Mitchell, um, any any possibility he's staying?" And the response was, "Yes, it's a possibility. All about the numbers." 
Now, I said, what numbers? Like Texas roster numbers, like NIL numbers, or numbers of receivers entering the NFL draft, and I've not gotten a response. Huh. So, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. I'm hoping to obviously get more clarification on that because I think if – okay, let's let's talk this out as we wait for our man Lance Taylor. A.D. Mitchell already projected as a first – to third round receiver. I think he probably moved closer to first round, but we've talked about six other receivers, including Marvin Harrison Jr., um, Malik Neighbors at LSU. I got to check and see how many of these guys have declared already for the draft. But um, if, if it's that, Okay, that that we know that AD is a smart guy. Um, we know he wants to maximize his uh, value in the draft. We talked about the fact that you know um, Jackson Smith and Jigba went in the first round. He got fourteen million guaranteed, and the second round receivers were only getting six to eight million. Um, and so does is that enough? Is that enough for you to um to to come back? Maybe try and increase it to where you are the first receiver taken. Keon Coleman is in the draft, underclassman. Um Troy Franklin, but he's not projected ahead of of AD Mitchell. So I bet AD's waiting to see what other receivers get in the draft. The deadline is January 15th. And that's, I think that's what, uh, I think that's what we're looking at here. So are you allowed to from LSU's in the draft? So I know in the NBA, you're allowed to, enter the draft but not hire an agent which gives you the ability to come back can you do that in college football you know they haven't they haven't um made it as simple as as the uh as the nba situation they haven't and I don't understand it, but let's uh, let's bring in Lance Taylor because he's got ideas, he's got thoughts. Um, LT, Happy New Year, my man. Hey, fellas, Happy New Year. Uh, boy, what a long week. I don't know when you guys get back from New Orleans, but uh, <laughs> I, I just got back last night from uh, L.A. slash Vegas. Yeah, I got back oh. Wednesday, Wednesday, uh, yeah, Wednesday night. It was a nightmare, but recovering. So I know you're recovering. Yeah, are you wearing Rams gear? Yeah, I'm wearing uh, a lot of Fridays and Mondays getting ready. I mean, not necessarily a big game this week because they've already clinched postseason spot, but still San Francisco, regular season finale. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big well, Rams game. We should probably start there. So my Lions got absolutely screwed. Oh, yeah. Um, 
by the refs in the Cowboys game. And now it could mean them only having one home playoff game, which right now would be against the Rams, which concerns me because the Rams look like they're getting hot. Yeah, but the Rams more than likely are going to drop to the seven here. They're not going to play anybody. Um, I I really don't know what's going on. I think they had to have help anyway. I think Dallas would have to lose to the Commanders and the Rams would beat San Francisco. And then the Rams, I think, would get the sixth seed and they would play in Detroit. No offense to your Lions. I would rather play in Detroit than Dallas just because of how good Dallas is at home. And I think – well, I mean, a couple of things. There's going to be a ton of pressure on Dallas um, because it is Dallas. Um, but Detroit, I mean, hell, they've won one postseason game, and that was in 1991. 30 years ago. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, the Rams probably aren't going to win either, either one of those games, but uh, who knows? NFL, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, Lance, talk about your Rams a little bit more. I mean, Puka Nakua, he's been the highlight all year long for that Rams squad. I mean, fifth-round pick out of BYU. Now he's a pro bowler over 1,400 yards. I mean, he's basically just a Cooper Cup light, and now that Cooper Cup's back and fully healthy, it's kind of like pick your poison because Stafford being the Super Bowl-winning quarterback that he is, he's going to find you. Oh, look, I, I think when you talk about one-two punches as far as wide receivers in the NFL, they're as good as anyone because Cooper Cup is rounding back into a healthy form. Uh, and then Demarcus Robinson out of nowhere has been a really good three. And Tyler Higby is one of the better underrated tight ends in football. And their offensive lines play tremendous. But the biggest key, not only Matt Stafford staying healthy down this stretch, has been Kyron Williams out of the backfield. Second year back out of Notre Dame. He's got the mo- second most rushing yards, although he's missed four games. Um, he's been fantastic. He's another one of those pro bowlers. I think the Rams got four overall. Um, I think it's a really good team that just got stuck in kind of a funk in the middle of the season. And because of seeding now, it's kind of hard to pull out of that. Um, I can't remember the last quarterback. I think it was Eli Manning that was able to go on the road as a wild card and win three road games to get to a Super Bowl. So it seems highly unlikely, but you never know. Again, it's the NFL. Just happy to be in the postseason. Yeah. Well, how how confident are you in these Rams? Oh, not overly confident. Just because I don't trust the kicking game. How Lucas Haversick has still got a uh, spot on that roster is beyond me. Um, Just misses key and chippy field goals left and right. Um, I don't trust the back end of the defense. So I'm not ultra confident. You know, I think – I think your team, the Lions, they're going to be playing with a mat on after getting completely screwed. Um, I think Dallas is going to be playing with – I mean, the only teams I wouldn't fear would be Philadelphia right now and whoever wins the South. But outside of that, San Francisco, Dallas, or Detroit, I really want nothing to do with them. Yeah. All right, well, let's let's go backwards a little bit. Let's go back to college football playoff semifinals. Um, you traveled the world to get to Pasadena. Um, what did you think? What Give us your thoughts of the, the Michigan-Alabama Rose Bowl game because Michigan was trying to screw it up with their special teams, but their defense was just chopping Alabama up. Five sacks in the first half, Lance. Yeah, I I thought the Michigan defense was outstanding, obviously. You mentioned special teams. I think if it wasn't for the special teams, 
I think Michigan's leading by double digits. That game could have already been over at halftime. Now, to Alabama's credit, you know, sitting down 13 to 10, they were able to regroup. They made some adjustments, and they came out, and they defensively dominated that game until that final regulation possession from Michigan. Um, you know, overall, I think the difference was up front. I think there were a lot of Alabama fans that discounted this Michigan defense because the only top 50 offense they had played the entire year was against Ohio State. Um, I was under the belief Michigan's defense was this good. It showed out not only the six overall sacks, but 10 tackles for loss. So I thought they played tremendous up front. Jalen Milrow did not play his best game. Obviously, there was a lot of uh, problems with Seth McLaughlin, the center, and the quarterback exchange there, even on the final play of overtime. Um, he has since Seth McLaughlin has entered the transfer portal. You guys probably saw that news. Uh, but I just thought overall, honestly, I think Alabama was the better team. Or excuse me, Michigan was the better team. And, you know, Alabama was a great story. I think Alabama fans were really disappointed being up seven with three minutes to go. They thought they had that game in hand. But if you go back and ask Alabama fans now to grade the season as a whole, and this is the first time you will get this maybe since 2008 when Alabama lost to Florida in the SEC championship game. I think Alabama fans would give this season an A. Because of where they were in September, and you guys saw that game against Texas, they looked lost the very next week against South Florida. They struggled to win that game to where they ended up the season, having a seven-point lead um, with three minutes to go in a Rose Bowl with a chance to play for a national championship in a game against Washington. They would have been favored. So I think overall it was an A year. Uh, Alabama fans a little disappointed that they couldn't finish the deal because I think this is one of their more enjoyable seasons because – it was a true team concept, guys getting their backs, guys getting better. Um, and, you know, they grew as a team. Yeah, Lance, you know, Monday night is obviously going to be that Washington high-powered offense versus the Michigan defense. One thing that Michigan was able to do against Alabama that Texas couldn't do against Washington was get pressure on the quarterback. And even when the Horns got pressure on Michael Penix, he was just so elusive in the pocket and still able to keep his eyes up the field to make just very accurate throws. How do you think that matchup's going to go? And then what did Washington show you against the Horns in New Orleans? We continue to doubt you know, you go back to the Pac-12 championship game and at Lance'sLike.com, full disclosure, and a lot of this was based on the number was nine and a half. I'm like, why in the hell is this number this large? And then everybody I talked to, you know, Washington still got a shot. They were doubted, though, being underdogs there, underdogs against Texas, underdogs again in the national championship. Kalen DeBoer, 21 consecutive wins. Um, he continues to beat top 25 teams, continues to win these one-possession games. So I think with Penix and those receivers, they're going to be in any game. But, you know, talking to some of the experts, Joel Klatt, uh, Brock Heward, a guy that played at Washington, their big fear is Michigan's ability to just run the football down the throat of Washington. You know, um, that's something that, yeah, I mean, that's 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 a matchup problem. Now, maybe get into a shootout. Um, I don't think the tempo is going to be there for them because it's going to be a lot of Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum and, you know, if, if they go out, Michigan can run the ball and, and run it with that kind of success and go 200-plus on the ground, Washington probably has no shot in this situation. And I don't know, personnel-wise, how you make that makeover. Like, I think Washington's defense is going to be in trouble, but their offense could bail them out. But, you know, right now I lean Michigan, uh, probably the better overall team. But it's hard to doubt Washington. I think it's a great championship matchup, our final in a 14 playoff. Um, I'm excited about it, but I lean, uh, lean Michigan right now. Yeah, I, I was like screaming for Texas to run the ball more 
they they averaged seven yards a carry on first down, 17 for 114 in the game. Like there was no need. Like I get that Sark has an elaborate script, but I would have come off that script and just kept pounding the running game, Lance. I don't know how much you saw of that game. Um, I watched you, first, were... uh, you guys are going to love this. I watched until seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. And I felt at that time, you know, no disrespect to this Texas team is obviously very good. I just kept thinking Washington was going to end this, win this game 14 to 21 points. But to your point, why would you not continue to run Baxter in blue and not only, you know, clip off, you know, you're going to consistently get these first downs, but you also keep Penix off the field. Exactly. That makes no yeah. sense, Lance. Exactly. I mean, no, both those running backs did fumble, but that was in the second half, you know. And to Chip's point, like in the first half, which they were tied 21-21, the game could have been a lot different if they would have just stuck with the run. Yeah. Like, but you could just tell on the first drive, Lance, things were a little fishy with Sark and his play calling because the first drive they have four total play or five total plays. They throw it on the first play in completion. They run for 16 yards, first down, then they go three straight plays where they put it in the air all incompletions. And that was just the vibe of the game for Sark and Texas. And they just couldn't overcome what Washington was doing offensively. I'll tell you, we almost saw two of the most incredible, uh, unpredictable endings in both of these games. Because, you know, Jake Thaw, and I don't know why, and everybody's asking the question, why he decided to field a punt in that situation with the game going to overtime. He should have just let it obviously roll into the end zone. But for him to be able to get it back on the one-yard line, Alabama could have walked that off with the safety. And then on the other side, the Washington game was over. They decide to get a little aggressive. They don't take those timeouts. Uh, the Dylan Johnson injury, I mean, just something you don't see. I didn't get to see it. I was in the car listening because we had some uh, transportation problems. Some of our guys got stuck at the Rose Bowl. I was smart enough to leave at halftime where I had to deal with that shitty traffic. Tell you, I don't know if you guys have ever been a spectator at a Rose Bowl, but it is the most – unfriendly fan experience as far as logistics go there's no functionality in now because you're driving down into a canyon yeah and and there's no urgency from the workers down there everything is piss poor labeled uh it's like you're lucky to be here uh going through the portal you have to wait in different lines for a certain amount of people to get through you've always got to come back out to go to bathrooms and to get any of the concessions it's just it's it's a wait non-stop so i decided at halftime, I knew I had plenty of time to get to a local brewery. And so I went, watched all of the second half, Washington, Texas, till that seven-minute mark when I got a phone call. And so, unfortunately, I was listening on a bad AM frequency somewhere out of L.A. Well, I'm I'm with you, Lance. It was crazy. I'm, I'm like, okay, where do we put these games? Because they did come down to the final play. And, you know, Quinn Ewers throws a back shoulder ball to A.D. Mitchell – um, more of a dig ball instead of a high point fade. It's probably Texas winning that game. And it did feel like they were kind of outplayed the whole way. And they got lucky when Dylan Johnson got hurt and that stopped the clock. Yeah. With, you know, I mean, that, that otherwise yeah. Washington could have run it down to 20 seconds before, you know, Texas got the ball back instead of 50. Yeah. And it's hard to believe, you know, you give up, over 500 total yards, I think 532. You have 10 penalties, a couple of turnovers, and you still have one throw to the zone to actually walk that game off. So that was pretty incredible by that. I, I'm wondering a couple of things. 
So we had people talking about Arch Manning to the transfer portal. Then we also had people talking about Arch Manning will be the starting quarterback next year. I think Quinn Ewers is really, really good. When he, and, and when he's on, he is one of the best in all of college football. So I thought both of those were kind of laughable. I don't know where you guys are on that. And then when I talk about Alabama fans looking back in retrospect over 2023, I would assume, although Texas was right there, had an opportunity to win this game and maybe a national championship, in year three under Sark, getting to a college football playoff, being that competitive, beating a team like Alabama on the road by double digits, I would think it's an A season. Yes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Zay? Um, yeah, I'll give it the A minus, but an A's an A for sure. But but Quinn Ewers is going to be the quarterback next year, right? Yeah. 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 He's gonna be the quarterback. That's Sark's MO. Um he'll you know, the the more experience you have in Sark's system, the more game experience. You cannot discount what Quinn Ewers did in the in the Alabama game, what he did in the Big 12 title game, what he did toward the end of the season. And um that I I thought Sark could have helped everybody in the first half by just running the ball, you know. Um that would have softened up, that would have brought a safety down, that would have made Quinn's job easier it just i thought sark got a little caught up in the script and trying to get yours into a flow into a rhythm instead of just taking what was there and i told zay i think michigan is absolutely going to run it down washington's throat if washington can't get that you know figured out in a week because Michigan loves to run the ball. They can't wait to run the ball. They ran it the whole second half against Penn State on the road. Um, so yeah, I'm I want to pick Washington because I loved what Penix did. I love those receivers. I love Braylon Trice. Um, but man, if they can't stop the run, yeah, Michigan's gonna I, pound it. I'm with you. Like just a rooting interest, I would love to pull for Washington. I think it's a great story. Final year of the Pac-12, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the Pennix story, Kalen DeBoer. Um, but Texas to average over six yards a carry, and now you've got it in a Michigan team that they had some success against Alabama running the football. Now, I thought J.J. McCarthy, uh, everybody kind of challenged, what's he going to be able to do? He had a couple of drops, but still was 17 to 27, played clean football. Um, I thought he was really good. All right, Lance, going back to the NFL, big game tomorrow, AFC South. If you're winning, you're in with the Texans and the Colts. I mean, Shane Steichen's done a hell of a job coming from Philly and doing this with Gardner Minshew. You know, that's that's something within itself. But we know C.J. Stroud and same thing with D'Amico Ryan. like the job that he's done coming from San Francisco. Both of these guys have the opportunity to get their teams in the playoffs. Who you got tomorrow? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I, I think one of these teams is going to end up 10 and 7. And just imagine the scenario if Buffalo loses and Pittsburgh wins and Buffalo's on the outside and you're a Bills fan. I mean, who would have said the Bills missed the postseason and either the Colts or the Texans with rookie quarterbacks and rookie head coaches? I mean, the Colts would be able to do this with Gardner Minshew after losing Anthony Richardson. Um, and they're still minus in point differential. You know, C.J. Stroud hasn't necessarily been the same since the concussion. Uh, They're a slight one-and-a-half-point favorite. They're the better story. I'm going to play the Colts, though, to win this game. 
I think Houston is that fun team that people want to pull for. And Stroud has played uh, – I asked somebody this question earlier today. Who was the last rookie quarterback to play at this level? It was Dan Orlovsky, and he said uh, Andrew Luck with the Colts. I mean, that's how good of a season C.J. Stroud has had. So um, I love these – you know, week 18 can bring you bad where everybody's sitting, but it can also bring you these moments of two teams like the Colts and Texans we never expected to be in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. I – um well, let me ask you this. The uh, the Bears-Packers, because this has playoff implications as well. Packers a three-point favorite at home against the Bears. And you could argue this game is not only, um, you know, not only does it have playoff implications, but it has Justin Fields' like career implications, Lance. Yeah, and I like how Fields has played, actually. I mean, at home, they've been night and day. Um, some people thought he would be better than he has been this year. Leads the team in rushing. I know there's a narrative out there that Chicago is going to get rid of him and go at number one overall, the pick they acquired from the Carolina Panthers with more than likely Caleb Williams. But I think right now I love Caleb Williams, but I might take Justin Fields just because I know what he's kind of – growing into in the NFL. Um, Jordan Love has been better than I thought he would be this year as well. So I think it's two quarterbacks that probably aren't getting the respect they deserve right now. Uh, Aaron Jones, ultimately the difference maker in this game on lean Packers. Um, Packers beat them by 18 week one. Unfortunately, at Lance'sLog.com, we were on the Bears in that spot. Um, I do have a memory when it comes to these games, but uh, I kind of like the pack in this one. Yeah. Lance, Kevin uh, Stefanski in Cleveland. I mean, to get that team in the playoffs with all the quarterback crap that they went through for Sean Watson, and now they got Joe Flacco in there who's playing like the Joe Flacco that won the Super Bowl with the Ravens over a decade ago. How how did this happen? I mean, I know the defense led by Miles Garrett, like he's an absolute problem who should be up for defensive player of the year. But still, like I – it's the Browns, Lance. Like, I mean, come on. Kind of like the Lions being in the situation. Like, yeah. the Browns, for real? Stefanski, you mentioned Coach of the Year. He is your hands-down Coach of the Year. Flacco could be end up being your comeback player of the year. I personally think it should be Baker Mayfield. They'll probably give it to DeMar Hamlin just based on the fact that that's where we are right now. And I guess he came back from a life-and-death situation. Really hasn't been a factor. With all that said, Stefanski's done an incredible job. They've won four consecutive games. I know the quality of opponent really hasn't been there. The last two games, they've won by double digits, and it's all about defense and what they can do up front defensively. And to not only lose Deshaun Watson, but to lose Nick Chubb and still be in this situation is pretty incredible. But they're one of those teams, much like your Detroit Lions, Chip. Um, I was talking about Buffalo, Cleveland, Detroit. These are teams you want to see perform well in the postseason because you feel so bad for the fan bases. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, Lance's lock.com, baby. What uh, I got to I got to ask you, who are you picking in the national championship game? Well, the, the lean is Michigan right now. That's not official. I will say since the turn of the calendar, we had a great bowl season as well. We had a bowl guarantee. And we ended up we had to go, you know, uh, winning record. We were 18 and eight in the bowl guarantee. But we are 14 and three since January 1st. Uh, we were three and zero on the first. 
I think one and one, seven and two, and then three and zero oh last night. So we're rolling out of the gate in 2024. Jump on board. Uh, best value in sports, hundred bucks a month. That's all it is. You get everything, all plays. You get a free play every single day. If you just want to monitor us, check it out. Go to lanceslock.com for all of the information as we get ready for week 18 of the NFL season. And of course, national championship coming up on Monday. Well, listen, dude, um, we always enjoy the conversation. Yeah, man. Love it. Uh, talk to you guys next week. Sorry. I had to push back a day, but I was in the air yesterday because I was lazy. I didn't want to get up. And I, I really got lucky because my guys ended up leaving Vegas at like one on Wednesday. They had to fly to Dallas. They had like a two hour layover. And then they got to Birmingham at like 1130. I got a direct flight out of Vegas yesterday at 1120. It was delayed an hour, but ended up getting back to Birmingham at like five o'clock. So you can't beat a direct connector suck. Yeah. Oh, you cannot be direct. Love direct. Happy new year, my man. Happy New Year to you, fellas. Talk next week. Enjoy the national championship. All right. Thanks, you got Happy it. Happy New Year, man. Appreciate you. You got it. All right. Um, we're going to talk to our man, John McClain. Get some more NFL going. Um, obviously, we've been talking a lot about um, the likely contract extension and raise for Steve Sarkeesian and um, you know Jonathan Brooks. We know now is he's made it official. He's going into the NFL draft. Uh, but before we get to John McClain, got to give some love to our travel partners to the Sugar Bowl. It was awesome. Cover three, the ultimate place to get high-end food and watch the game right there on Anderson um, up in Round Rock and cover two at Lake Creek in 183. Um, get the uh, Sean Adams prime rib sandwich. You will thank me later. And Hoops ATX, my man Mikey G, Mike Gonzalez, been putting in in-ground basketball goals for 20 years. He's got the best price, the best customer service. And don't give your kids video games. Give them a reason to get outside and hoop like my man Zay Collier, you know, so that you're getting in and getting it getting it going. Um, Hoops ATX can put in a whole sport court for you, pickleball, Whatever you want. Um, Mike Gonzalez, hoopsatx.com. And of course, uh, Hat Creek, our man Drew Gresset, Hat Creek Burger. I love the Hat Creek chicken sandwich with a little bacon, a little cheddar on that. Mm, I think that is the best chicken sandwich you can get in a drive through establishment. And of course, um, Apple Leasing. Apple Leasing, it's a new year. How about a new car? You got the, uh, you're going to lease any maker model of car. And that's the only place in the world you can get that. Um, don't go to a dealership and lease because they are probably going to lock you into their make and model of car. You lease from Apple leasing, you pick any maker model of car. And then if you want to switch two, three years into the lease, no problem. The easy lease. And you're not paying for the future trade in value of the car. So you're getting into a better car than you thought you could afford appleleasing.com or just call them at 346-9977 and they'll help you. They'll be your personal car concierge. Um, yeah, it's, it's good. All right. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk a little NFL Zay with our man, John McClay of sports radio, 610.com where he's pumping out 
column after column, including columns about the Houston Texans. John McClain, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you guys. And boy, the best laid plans. I still can't believe the Longhorns blew that game. I thought, sure, they're going to win it. I think uh, Michael Penix is probably still completing deep passes. It's. Um, I thought at the end they were going to pull it out and it was going to be a miraculous victory, and then they'd come to Houston to play for the championship, and there'd be the prices of the tickets would skyrocket with all those wealthy Longhorn alums coming to town. And it still should be a great game, but, man, the buzz here is not about the national championship game. It's about the Texans. Winner-take-all game in Indianapolis Saturday night, national TV. They got Joe Buck and they got Troy Aikman on the games. First time they haven't played a game at noon. And so they got a lot at stake besides the playoffs. I wrote a column this week. Will Anderson Jr. played 12 snaps Sunday, had two sacks, six pressures. He's second to Jalen Carter right now in Vegas for defensive rookie of the year. Stroud's going to win offensive rookie, and I wrote about this a great time for guys like Anderson and Stroud to showcase what they got uh, on national TV at Indy. Indy beat them by 11 in the second game of the season here. Show you how long ago that was. Nine different starters will be on the Texans' offense. Texans are missing so many players while the Colts say they're as healthy as they've been since the first game of the season. Yeah, John, what's the vibe with the Texans right now? You just mentioned all the injuries that they're dealing with. C.J. Stroud, he had a solid game last week against the Titans, but it still seemed like he had to work out some kinks just being, you know, two weeks off from that concussion that he had. What's the vibe going into this game? As you said, again, they're playing basic primetime. Haven't had a primetime game really all year. How are they going about that? Where's D'Amico Ryan's head at with the ball club? If the Texans win, they're in the playoffs. At worst, they're a wild card team. At best, they are the AFC South champion if Tennessee upsets Jacksonville. And today, the Titans got news I think will help them. Ryan Tannehill is starting over the injured Will Levis. Tannehill is healthy. He was a starter early in the year, got hurt. They put Levis in. He stayed in. Tannehill's auditioning for another job next season. He is. Uh, he wants to go out in style. Derek, Derek Henry's been talking about all week. And I think it's it for him. He just turned 30 this week. And I've seen some interesting stats about Derek Henry, by the way. He gets hit in the backfield more than any running back in the league. And their offensive line has been terrible. And I'll bet you if he goes somewhere with a good offensive line that he's going to play well because he didn't start till his third year in the NFL. So I think the Titans got a chance to upset the Jaguars. And if that happens and the Texans win, they'll host Cleveland. Browns blew them out 36-22 two weeks ago here. And if the Texans win and the Jaguars win, they will go to either Buffalo if the Bills beat Miami or Kansas City if the Dolphins beat the Bills. So they got a lot in the Colts. It's just the same for the Colts. I think the winner of this game, the head coach will finish second in coach of the year balloting to Cleveland's Kevin Stefanski, who has that wrapped up, even though D'Amico Ryans and Shane Steichen have won a lot more games 
based on what they were predicted than the Browns because the Browns, some people picked them to win the AFC North because they thought they had a healthy Deshaun Watson and he was going to play like he played Houston in 2020, and it's amazing. Browns are winning with Flacco, and the Texans are winning with their second-choice quarterback, C.J. Stroud, because they beat Indy and Indy last year in the last game, and it cost them the first pick, and everybody here went ballistic because they blew their chance to get Bryce Young. John, I'm I'm going to take you back to the Texans because I'm I'm I love you've got a deep dive on SportsRadio610.com. Five things uh, to to watch for Texans in the Texans Colts game. Um, you know, you talk about C.J. Stroud and and explosive plays and and Stroud needing better protection, um, the running game being imperative. What, uh, and the defense has been so good. That's why I'm tempted to take the Texans in this game. What's your, what's your gut feel about how, how things play out in that game? I'm surprised the Texans are favored by one point. Indy started the week being favored by one. Injury reports have come out. Colts are healthy. Texans are missing Jonathan Grenard, their best pass rusher, second game in a row. They could miss Malik Collins, their best defensive tackle, the second game in a row. Will Anderson Jr. played 12 snaps last week. He might not play, but say 12 to 20 snaps in this game. So they still got players out. And Noah Brown, who done a good job, he's out at wide receiver. So they have a lot of injuries, and Laramie Tunsil's playing hurt at left tackle. And uh, it's amazing when I think about this. They have they have played four left tackles, four left guards, four centers, one right guard, and three right tackles this season because of injuries. And I went back and looked at that starting lineup in the 31-20 victory by the Colts here in the second game, and it blew me away, some of the guys – who started. Now, most of them are on injured reserve or are reserves. And um, one thing the Texans, the best thing they do on defense is stop the run. Jonathan Taylor it didn't play in the first game. He is 5-0 and against the Texans, and he has averaged 124 yards in his last three games. He's averaged 149. Texans' run defense is tied for third. They're giving up 88 yards a game. In their last 12 games, they're giving up uh, 80, and in their last four games, they're giving up 53 a game. So they've been really good against the run, no matter who's been healthy in and out of the lineup in the defensive line. They've had some great coaching of their front seven. And their offense, when they run for 100 yards, they're 5-1. and one. When they run for 100, Devin Singletary has reached 100, they're 3-0. and oh. But the problem is they're still not a good running team. And one of the reasons, I think, is the injuries, but number two, their line coach, Chris Strasser, who came from Indianapolis, he never coached in this zone scheme, and, uh, you know, he had to learn it too, and I think it's been a learning experience for him as well as the back, so you would think getting 100 yards would be imperative for them, and the uh, Colts in that first game sacked uh, C.J. Stroud six times, that's still a season high. And last week against the Titans, he was sacked once. It was his fault because he kept running around trying to find a receiver instead of just throwing it away. Colts have a really good front seven. Four of their – they have four guys with at least seven sacks, and they get after the quarterback, so especially up the middle. So I think we're going to see Stroud rolling out a lot, throwing on the run a lot. And I think there's times he's passed up a run to throw passes, 
And when they played Georgia last year in the semifinals of the college football playoff, he ran 12 times, more than any time of the year. And I think we might see him take off more in this game than he has. What's your uh, – what's real? sorry, real quick, what's your biggest concern about the Colts? Um, I think they'll do a good job shutting down a pass rush. They, then they want Gardner Minshew to throw. Minshew's 0-3 against the Texans as a starter. But he came off the bench when Anthony Richardson was hurt in the first game and led them to the 11-point victory. But to me, it's about the pass rush and protecting Stroud because he's the single most important player on the team. If the interior guys get dominated, and and that's a good chance of that because their center, Michael Dieter, the fourth one, was supposed to be a backup, and he's been their fourth guy to play center, and he's all right. He won't be the center next year. And their left guard, Juice Scruggs, was supposed to be the center. So they've had some problems in the middle. And uh, so I, it's can they control the defensive line and give Stroud time to throw the ball? He's only had five interceptions. That's the fewest in the league. The only one that has five is Kirk Cousins. He only played eight games, so he's been really good at protecting the ball. And in the last, the, the Colts play more zone than any team in the league, I believe. And and according to the stats I saw, Stroud is rating of 147 against zone coverage. And so if he sees a lot of zone, Colts will let him work the ball down the field, and then they tighten up in the red zone. Red zone's been an issue for the Texans. They kick it too many field goals. And I think this game's going to come down to one of the kickers, Matt Gay or Kaimi Fairbairn. And Fairbairn has been fantastic. He's 27 to 28, and he missed, he's won two games at the end, and he missed five games with a quad injury. So if it comes, all, almost all the Texans games come down to a field goal or less, and they are three and three in those games, and they are six and three in games settled by seven or less. But uh, I think it's going to be close, and I think it's going to be a field goal decided. And uh, can't wait to see this game. John, you've been covering the NFL for a long time. Have you ever seen that just poor performance by the officials in the Cowboys-Lions game with all the playoff implications that it had in it. Give us your thoughts about what happened and your point of view. The Lions got way too cute. They tried to send three tackles over to uh, confuse the Cowboys, and, yeah, they confused the Cowboys, and they confused the referee, Allen, and uh, and he blew, he blew the call. But uh, they were reminded that every team was that uh, – how you how you handle that situation with an eligible receiver. Every time you hear 61 is an eligible receiver, Titans had some poor guy named number 61 going off on and off the field, every offensive play. And I'm thinking, why don't they just leave him at tight end? And in that case, they the the referee was in too big of a hurry to get the game, keep it going. And as somebody said, he looked like he's in a hurry to catch an Uber. But the fact is, Dan, Dan Campbell outsmarted himself by trying to trick the Cowboys. And he said, well, I told him about it before the game. Well, the referee doesn't even come in those pregame meetings. There's a couple of officials that talk to the head coaches, not the referee. So that wasn't going to wash. What should have happened in that situation when he announced that the tackle, Stan Skipper, who used to be here, was eligible, some guy should have fallen down with a cramp. 
and that would have stopped the play, and then they could have gone over to the official. No, whoa, whoa, whoa. It was 68, not 70, but they weren't thinking quick enough, and Campbell had used his timeouts. And if he had kicked the ball when he should have kicked the ball, he would have won the game, and it would have been a moot point. Early on, Troy Eggman said, well, they ought to take the points here, and they should have kicked the field goal, but they didn't, and they got stopped. And uh, sometime I think Campbell, while he's doing a great job, is too stubborn for his own good. Yeah, makes me a little nervous here. <laughs> you should, you know, there's two coaches, Campbell, who seems hell bent to go for two every time. You saw those stats about how much they've gone for two on their side of the field, like they had that fake punt. You know, sometime that got Brandon Staley fired, all those stupid decisions he made that were based on analytics. And sometimes you look at analytics and it'll say, okay, if you go in this situation, you win 48% of the time, you make it 48% of the time. Well, analytics don't take into account who's on the other side of the ball, whether you're playing a great defense, a great defensive line, or you're playing the Panthers. It doesn't list that. You know, it tells you what you do just in those situations, and sometimes you use common sense. Remember, when you're on the road, take the points, especially early. You don't need to start going for two till it's later in the game, but Dan Campbell's decision-making. And then if I were a Cowboy fan, I would cringe every time Mike McCarthy is in a clutch situation in a big game, like the Detroit game in which he didn't run the ball on their last possession. He threw it. It ended up costing them at least 42 seconds. I saw somebody with a timeline of what he boneheaded call he made. And I hope it was not Dak Prescott changing the play coaches will never tell that one time here we blasted bill o'brien for throwing the ball when he got in a certain situation when sean watson was a rookie we just eviscerated him in the media fans and then i had a coach tell me three weeks later this is off the record but watson changed that play at the line of scrimmage that wasn't on o'brien and by then, you know, I couldn't say anything about it, so I just dropped it. But you always wonder about that because sometimes there's so boneheaded calls. But if Mike McCarthy, when he's in a big clutch situation like that, I don't feel good about it like I would with Kyle Shanahan or some of these other coaches who don't make boneheaded decisions in important times. All right, what other what other games have your attention, John? Well, I'm if the Texans lose – then I'm, my only game I really care about is going to be Buffalo and Miami just because it's a great situation. The last game of the season, regular season, it means the Bills could be win the division or miss the playoffs. Right now, everybody thinks they're really dangerous, even though they they had their offense has not been – Josh Allen has not been playing great. And it's weird, Stephon Diggs, I've seen stories this week about how little he's being used, but they're winning – even though they're not blowing people out, they're just winning. You know, they're peaking at the right time. They're nine and one in the last 10 with Miami. Tua Tungvaluwa is one and five against Buffalo. Buffalo's favored Miami. And I can't wait to see that. Now, if the Texans beat the Colts, all my attention, everybody here is going to have to be Titans fans. And they hate the Titans because they need <laughs> the Titans beat the Jaguars. And then if that were to happen or if they if it doesn't, then everybody's going to be interested in the Buffalo game because that would control where the Texans go if they're a wild card. Yeah. 
John, before the season, we all kind of had a feeling that the NFC South would be where it is now. Teams kind of fighting around the eight and eight spot. And the Saints, they did their job last week by beating the Buccaneers. But now they're kind of on the outside looking in, hoping that the Buccaneers lose to the Carolina Panthers, which I'll tell them, don't hold your breath. But going to the Buccaneers, Baker Mayfield, it seems like he should be up for comeback player of the year. Well, he should, and he, they didn't play well in that game, and he's hurt, but he's going to play. And the comeback player of the year, uh, uh, Hamlin's won that game. I uh, forgot his name. Uh, Lamar, Lamar Hamlin, he's won it because uh, he came back from the dead. So that's a lot. And there's a lot of good candidates. Flacco hadn't played enough, although everybody in Cleveland's saying he ought to be comeback player of the year. And I think if you die – like DeMar Hamlin did, and you come back, even though you're not playing a lot, you're going to win that award. Baker Mayfield, I can't imagine that they would lose this game. The Panthers just stunk it up terribly against uh, the Jaguars and backup quarterback C.J. Beathard, I think it's 29 to nothing or three or something like that. So Mayfield had been playing great, and I'm assuming he'll play well and they'll win. But if, if Carolina were to win this game and Bryce Young's played – better lately and their defense is playing better it hasn't translated into victories but if carolina were to win oh boy todd balls is going to be out of there they're not going to collapse like that when they should have won they should win the division with the talent they got on offense at running back and wide receiver and mike evans having had such an incredible season and mayfield bouncing back in a big way i think uh, that would be one of the jobs that would be open John, um, love that you're a pro football Hall of Fame voter. Um, we got the 15 modern era finalists um, on the 27th. And Eric Allen, Jared Allen, Willie Anderson, Jari Evans, Dwight Freeney, Antonio Gates, Rodney Harrison, Devin Hester, Tori Holt, Andre Johnson. Um, Julius Peppers, Fred Taylor, Reggie Wayne, Patrick Willis, Darren Woodson. Who do you think has a good chance of getting in and who probably has to wait? Well, I can't go over everybody that you just mentioned, but I think Julius Peppers is a lock. And I think Antonio Gates, who caught a lot of touchdown passes from Phillip Rivers, one of the most prolific pass-catching ends in history. I don't know if he's a lock, but if he doesn't get in this year, it'll be soon. I'll be presenting Andre Johnson to the committee for the third year in a row. And Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne, and Torrey Holt cancel each other out. Everybody says, well, all three of them deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And then when the vote comes out, they made last year the cut from 15 to 10, and then none made it from 10 to 5. And um, so I'm kind of I'm told I keep Andre abreast of everything I'm doing. And I'm going to change a little bit on my presentation. And one of the things I'm going to do is I'm looking for red hot coaches who are prominent now and in everybody's minds. And Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel coached him. So I'm going to have quotes from them in my five minute presentation about why they think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And I tried that with Gary Kubiak last year. And I'm thinking about calling Jim Schwartz because Jim went against him for eight years. And just getting mixing it up a little bit. And then a lot of other people chime in as well who think he should be in there. But, you know, I'm going up again when it's uh, Reggie Wayne has Tony Dungy and Bill Polian presenting him. 
guys who coached him and guys who drafted him and both in the Hall of Fame. And uh, so it's tough going up against them. But uh, I do everything I've ever done with any of the Oilers that I've helped get in when I presented them. And I hope this is finally a year, third time's a charm. But, boy, we just don't know how to break that log jam. Yeah. Yeah. What about what what about Darren Woodson? Um you know Darren's obviously- got three rings. He's one of the best safeties ever. We've we've uh started putting more safeties in the Hall of Fame. I think he deserves to be in there, but I have no idea whether he'll get in there. When we when we have our two day meeting and we kick all this around for a total of about ten hours, nobody ever says Darren Woodson doesn't deserve to be in or Andre Johnson doesn't deserve to be in. They all say, Boy, he deserves to be in, and nobody, and we don't know until the voting. We know from 15 to 10, and then we know 10 to 5. And really, if you get in the final five, you're in. And so uh, I know I've been, I haven't shown it, but when Andre has made the cut to 10 two years ago, and Reggie Wayne did not, and Tory Holt did not, I thought he had a chance, but then he didn't make the five. So. Um, I, I'm open the third time's a charm, keep my fingers and my toes crossed. Uh, but uh, it's 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 a lot of responsibility, it's an incredible honor to present these guys. But boy, if Andre doesn't, I have everywhere I go people, you got to get Andre Johnson in the Hall of Fame, or you how come you're not getting him in the Hall of Fame, or somebody else needs to be presenting him, you're not doing a good job. And uh, all I can say is I'm doing everything I can. Yeah, it's tough when you have three. Big time guys at the same position. Um, that's why I asked you about Darren Woodson because you got Rodney Harrison um, as well at the safety position. Yeah, I think Woodson has got a better chance than Rodney. Uh, I'm not sure why. Uh, Rodney Harrison hadn't been a finalist very much. And th- one of the things that gets me about Andre Johnson, you know, his best quarterback was Matt Schaub. Until the 12th yeah. year of his career, he never had a receiver opposite him who gained 900 yards. Where the other guys, you know, Reggie Wayne had Peyton Manning, Edron James. He had uh, two Hall of, Fame, Hall of Fame receiver, Marvin Harrison, Hall of Fame coach, GM. And uh, and then, gosh, Torrey Holt had Kurt Warner, left tackle Orlando Pace, wide receiver Isaac Bruce, running back Marshall Falk, and coach Dick Vermeil. So I don't uh, – I've used that prominently in my presentation the last two years. I'm not going to this year because the committee knows it. And uh, so I'm hoping somebody else will point that out while I try other things. And there's a there's a lot of uh, statistics, and I try not to hit too many. It's a five minute presentation. You got to move. And uh, but there are several key statistics in which the two best of all Hall of Fame receivers. Now compare Andre to the Hall of Fame receivers. It's Andre Johnson and Jerry Rice, or Andre Johnson and Marvin Harrison, and there's nobody else. And so so far it hadn't been enough. Hopefully uh, this year it will be. Yeah, I we said this about about Andre Johnson. He's got the Tommy Nobis syndrome. You know, he kind of was the star of an expansion team. He had to kind of do it on his own. Tommy Nobis, to me, that's one of the greatest oversights in the history of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But he played on an expansion team that didn't win. And We've talked about that a million times. I'm on the seniors committee. I've been on the committee for 30 years, and everybody, we point out who Tommy Novus played for, how bad they were, what he did, but he just still has never gotten in. Hopefully one of these days 
uh, that he'll make it on the seniors committee, but he's been eligible for years. I'll tell you what, John, Tory Holt and Reggie Wayne didn't do what Andre Johnson did to Cortland Finnegan. I know that. That's one thing I'll always remember with Andre Johnson. And if he gets in the Canton and you know how they have that button where you see the highlights and stuff, that should be on there because that's an iconic Houston Texans moment right there. It was funny because Cortland Finnegan, who just infuriated receivers, and one of the things he was doing to Johnson is getting his hands inside his face mask trying to gouge his eyes. And so Andre, who's 6'3 and 230, and Finnegan, who's about 5'11 and 190, he did that to all receivers. They just hated him. And so the game was wrapped up, and according to Gary Kubiak, Andre's standing behind him during the game and goes, Coobs, Coobs. And he's like, hey, I'm trying to coach here, Andre. Coobs, Coobs finally turned around, what? And he told him what he was going to do if, if Finnegan did it again. And so Kubiak yeah, okay, because, you know, we've got the game in hand. And so he did it again, and he did. And the best picture, I think, is Chronicle Photographer. He had the perfect shot of when he was way back, had him on the ground like this, about to pound him again. And uh, that picture, a lot of people asked him to sign it, but he didn't want to sign it because, you know, he got fined for it, and he thought it was, uh, it was really the only negative thing about his career, even though a lot of people loved it especially wide receivers across the NFL. He got so many texts and emails from people thanking him. <laughs> John, I got to ask you about the Cowboys and the, in the, I don't know, said Redskins, um, the commanders. It's a road game for the Cowboys. They're favored by like 13. Um, the commanders might only be playing for Rivera's job. They're not playing for his job. He's, he's, He's history. He's you know, there's no way he's he could beat the Cowboys by 50 and he'd be gone. Commanders are playing nut for nothing except trying to get some good on tape. But you know, that's fine. But they've got a whole season of tape. The Cowboys are gonna pound them into submission. Well, okay. Well, then my lines are screwed. Uh John, um, anything else in the in the notebook? Cowboys gonna get a home game and then they're going to go on the road because they'll win at home because they always win at home and unfortunately they won't be playing against a bad team uh when they finally go on the road i'm i'm guessing i can't wait i don't know what's happened to philadelphia to lose at home to arizona in such an important game that's the kind of game that will cause others like cowboy fans to hold their breath could that happen to us well arizona is a lot better right now than washington and Arizona has a coach and a system and a staff that knows they're not going anywhere where there's so going to be so much turnover in Washington as there should be under new owner Josh Harris. But um, I think that uh, Philadelphia, there's no way Cowboys going to lose and Eagles going to win this division because nobody repeats as NFC East champion. I think that hadn't happened since I was a teenager. Last one for me, John. Can you give us your thoughts on the Broncos, Russell Wilson situation? It just seems pretty icky and what's going on there. You know, we had Dan Neal on the other day, former Texas and Broncos offensive lineman, and he said that Russell Wilson isn't appear to what everybody thinks he is. Like there's just a lot of backlash on Russell Wilson and how he carries himself, and he might have lied about some things to make this situation a little bit more confusing. Um, everybody I know in the Broncos organization and covers them, 
They've had no problems with him this year. The problem's been Sean Payton. He's a very unpopular coach because he is a control freak, and he wants everything done his way. And I've never heard so many people speak negatively about a coach like that since Bill O'Brien. And so they have mishandled it totally. You know, he signed that contract in good faith, trying to get him to change his injury guarantee to benefit them. He's going to get cut. Uh, They'll spread it over two years, designate him as a June 1st cap casualty. You can do two of those a year. You don't have to wait till June 1st. And he'll be one of them. And he'll still kill them on the uh, dead money. But uh, he'll go somewhere as a bridge quarterback to a team that drafts a young guy or has a young guy, like say they like the new co- new coach in, oh, I mean uh, Las Vegas. Say he likes Aiden O'Connell based on what he's seen, but he'd like to have a veteran come in there first. He'll get a job. It'll be for the minimum because he'd be making thirty five million or something like that from the Broncos in the worst contract, in the second worst contract in the history of the NFL. Okay. What's y'all know one? what the first one is. Browns. You got it. <laughs> I was going to say, where's that last Tony Romo contract? <laughs> Not even close to the ones that uh, Cleveland gave Deshaun Watson and Denver gave Russell Wilson. And Denver didn't even have to give Russell Wilson that contract. You know, that if it wasn't for Herschel Walker and what Jimmy Johnson did, with all those uh, players, Jimmy had it in the original deal, but they wouldn't let him disclose it publicly that if you cut this player, you get a first round pick, cut that player, get a second round pick. Jimmy knew he's going to get rid of all of them, but that will always be the most lopsided trade in history because of what the Cowboys turned it into where Denver may not ever, you know, they may, they'll recover eventually, but Seattle may not, I'm doubting seriously is going to turn it into three Super Bowls in four years, but, Boy, it was bad with a capital B. Man. John, great stuff as always, my friend. Love the conversation. Let's do it again next week. Guys, I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, It's going to be a great weekend for NFL. And I look forward, I'm hoping, hoping that uh, Washington beats Michigan because I'd hate to see Jim Harbaugh, after everything he's been involved in, hoist that championship trophy in NRG Stadium. Yeah. Big weekend in Houston, no doubt about it. You're going to be covering that as well? No, I just cover the NFL. And then hopefully Texans will host a playoff game Cleveland next week, and that'll be the end of the season. But I picked the Texans to win this game on my Utopia football podcast, 26-24. But uh, if if Indy wins, it won't surprise me at all. All right, John. Great stuff. Thank you, guys. SportsRadio610.com. He is uh, Mr. Houston, everything. I'm sorry we didn't get to the Rockets, but we'll get there, Zay. Rockets? That's, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> you, you <have> no <laughs> I'm, I'm good not talking about Rockets right now. We'll get there. Well, we'll see we'll you in February there. when the Super Bowl is over. We'll get some Rockets talk then and see where they're at. Cause, yeah, so, they got their own issues. Longhorn Laundry. My man. Yeah, so um, Longhorn Laundry, well, first he says, uh, excited to sponsor our show. So, Zay, what did what magic uh, did you, you know, just 
show him your amazing personality. Y'all met up in yeah, New Orleans. The team, man. Like he's hopped on Texas Sports Unfiltered as a whole. And yeah, Longhorn Laundry, get that laundry out to you. Goes around campus and around town and hook you up with the best laundry possible. And yeah, we saw him and his lovely wife in New Orleans. <laughs> my man was all decked out in his long worn attire per usual i guess that's my guy yeah great person so you were already gone by the time he showed up yeah sorry i didn't get to meet uh, longhorn laundry um but yeah i was born in henry ford hospital in downtown detroit lived there until i was you know um well five and then we moved to kalamazoo but Detroit was always the team. Lions, Red Wings, Pistons, Tigers. I mean, the Pistons are just, oh, good God. Um, so, <laughs> and that's that's really, you know, I mean, the fact that I can say the roar of 84 about the Tigers and the Pistons in 04 and, of course, the bad boys in the late 80s, but the Lions, like I've told Zay and, everyone i'm fascinated with bobby lane because of the the curse the 50-year curse he put on him after he led them to a world championship and then got traded to the pittsburgh steelers and uh the 50-year curse is now um at 64 years so and i just had a little twinge that the bobby lane curse showed up at uh AT&T Stadium last week, great game, fun game to watch, Cowboys, Lions, and then it comes down to that, and I agree with John. I was mad that that uh, Dan Campbell didn't kick some field goals. You know me, Zay. I'm like, you're on the road, take the points. And then for him to go for it three times going for two after the first, like, okay, let's get into overtime. Let's – Trust your defense. Thought the defense played pretty well in that game, but uh, anyway, yeah. So I am from Detroit, and you know it's been tough being a, a fan of the Detroit teams. But um, yeah, lots lots going on. We came into the show talking about um, Chris Del Conte indicating he's going to sit down with Steve Sarkeesian. Um, soon he told me and they're going to talk about the season I said does that include a contract extension and raise he said read into it what you want which for Del Conte means yes and and then we talked about the salaries of the SEC coaches and the fact that Lane Kiffin Josh Heupel Brian Kelly Mark Stoops are all in the top 10 along with Nick Saban and Kirby Smart Saban is at the top of that list at 11.4 million. Lane Kiffin is number 10 at 9 million a year. And I've had several prominent boosters at Texas say, I'm not comfortable with Sark going into the SEC making less than Lane Kiffin. I said, don't worry, it's coming. And probably going to be a $10 million man. So good timing for Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah, for sure. Because again, he's 
won more than 10 games the first time in his career. You can see the culture change just from the players' development here in year three, obviously taking this team to a college football playoff. But, yeah, Sark's the guy. He's earned that. And, you know, when all those guys in the SEC, like uh, Mark Stoops and, you know, Josh Heupel are getting paid more than you, yeah, if you're his agent, then it's going to be cleanup day some point. So Chris Del Conte, he knows what's up. He's not dumb. And, yeah, it makes sense for them to make this move right now. So should I do the chip shot now? Since it's up we got to you, picks. man. Yeah, it's up to you. 24 minutes. Okay. My, my call is going to be quickish. Yeah. Because this is kind of a conversation. And I want um, – so said Golden – Columnist for the Austin American Statesman um, wrote a column today, um, basically saying that you know Quinn Ewers needs to get ready for uh, Arch Manning, and that Arch Manning needs to you know be given a chance to win the job. And a lot of Texas fans are frustrated because the national or whatever the college football playoff semifinal didn't go the way they wanted Quinn didn't throw a back shoulder ball to Adnan Mitchell um and and so you know it's kind of a like here comes Arch Manning and Quinn's gonna have to to fend him off and I'm just gonna say I understand I also understand the frustration of the passing game in the college football playoff. It's part of the reason why I kept saying, even on Twitter during the game, run the dang ball because they were just killing it on the ground. That, and people are comparing this college football playoff game against Washington to the Oklahoma State game. Last year when Sark kept dialing up passes and I asked Sark after that game, okay, all those deep shots to Worthy, was that Quinn or was that you? And he said, no, that was me. And I didn't get it because Bijan and Roshan Johnson were having a good day on the ground, especially in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Not to mention, Chip, Quinn has a jammed freaking finger. Right. And it was 20-mile-an-hour wins. I mean, it just made no sense. And I was told that, you know, the coaching staff in their Sunday meeting – basically said we we lost this game um and you know the players didn't we lost this game and so that we didn't have much of that going on since then until this game and so you know i i have to say i i'm going to take up for Quinn a little bit here because i thought Sark should have been Get off the script, run the ball, because you're you're I mean, you, your first run was for 16 yards. The next one was it was ridiculous. Um, they were averaging almost eight yards a carry after the first quarter and seven yards a carry at first half. And we talked about the fact that you know, Jaden Blue, CJ Baxter, neither of them even got 10 carries in that game. So I get it. I get the frustration. Um but I'm going to take up for Quinn Ewers in this instance because the coach has got to help put him in 
position to be successful. Washington's pass rush was a problem and they were, they were batting passes. Like everything was pointing toward, you know what? Let's run the ball. And it didn't happen. I get it. Quinn, if he throws the back shoulder ball to Adonai Mitchell at the end, Mitchell probably catches it. Texas probably wins the game. But um, you can't throw the guy out for that one pass. And the thing that you saw all year, and this is why Sarkeesian hates starting first-year quarterbacks and loves playing multiple-year experienced quarterbacks because of all the layers to his offense, the, the motion, the shifting, how to read the defense. I thought we saw Quinn Ewers make a big jump from year one to year two. I thought his, he's not, you know, he's not a vocal leader, but I think he's, he showed you he's got strong intestinal fortitude with what he did at Alabama, with what he did in the Big 12 championship game, with what he did playing with an AC joint sprain in his shoulder. He came back early from that. It's tough. I'm I'm a little surprised, and I get door number two when it says Manning on it. You're like, oh, my God, I can't wait to open that door. I can't wait. I can't wait. And And I get it. But Quinn Ewers is evolving. And if he comes back, that tells you how self-aware he is. Because he wants – look, if you talk to most NFL scouts, they'll say – We'd prefer a quarterback who's played three full college seasons as opposed yeah, to at least 30 games, at least 30 games right. under their belt. That gives the NFL a big enough sample size to decide who that kid is as a quarterback. If, you know, Quinn Ewers could come out right now and he'd probably be one of the top three, four quarterbacks picked. And I think Quinn Ewers is like, you know what? I want to make sure that I'm happy with where I am as a quarterback and that I'm in a position to go handle whatever may come. Cuz look at look at some of the quarterbacks and where they get drafted and how their careers turn out. Colt McCoy went to the Browns, it was horrible. Eric Mangini, one of the worst head coaches in the history of the NFL. Calling plays that didn't exist to embarrass Colt McCoy as a rookie just to see how he'd handle the situation. What the so ignorant. That is so stupid. Like, what an a-hole. And another reason that all those Parcells assistants who were so arrogant because they were a friend of Bill and then couldn't go do anything on their own, you got to be ready for whatever comes. Because Peyton Manning had to make a bad situation good. So did Troy Aikman. They did it. But they had really good coaches. And even though they went one and whatever, Troy didn't win a game his rookie year. 0-13. Damn. You could see it was going to come. Peyton Manning, what, 3-13 and his first year. So you got to be strong enough competent enough to handle those situations and be the tip of the spear and turn it around. What CJ Stroud's doing in Houston. Awesome. And I think Quinn 
wants to be in that same situation. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a door number two guy. I, if, if Arch Manning gets in because of a whatever situation and he thrives. Okay. Then we have a conversation, but Quinn Ewers has shown you by what he did at Alabama that he's got the Sarkeesian offense down. It's a pro offense. There is a progression. It is layered. It's not easy. It's it takes time. And I'm not willing to throw that time out out the window because Arch Manning has good zip on his passes and the five passes you got to see this year. Um right. in the two what one fourth down conversion, one third down conversion in garbage time of a 57-7 win. I think Arch Manning is comfortable being the backup or let's just say contending, fighting it out in the two deep in 2024. And then whatever happens, happens. You know, he's one play away. So if he gets on the field, tears it up, we've seen stranger things happen. Okay. But I think he's also comfortable, you know, learning one more year and then being the guy going into the 25 season. But I'm not ready to throw out Quinn Ewers. I, I, everybody should have to compete at all times for their job. Don't get me wrong. So, yes, Quinn Ewers is going to have to compete. And Arch Manning's coming. But I'm not ready to say, you know, ah, Quinn. I think he's hit his ceiling. No way. I mean, that kid's, kid's tough. And he's he's a, he led them to a championship, and that's you cannot discount that. Yeah, Michael Penix is in his sixth year, Dad Gummit. Like, let's not. <laughs> what are we talking about here? And then going back to you made that comparison about Troy Aikman, North Turner. If he didn't go to the Cowboys when he did, Aikman wouldn't have been Aikman. Straight up, that completely great, changed Aikman's great career. Completely changed it. So, North like Turner. everybody, oh my gosh, what he Savant. did with Eggman, yeah, Savant. So, you need stuff like that. Who knows who's going to walk in, whether it's a player, you know, just another year with AJ Milley and Steve Sarkeesian, another year, Chris Jackson coming in year two, like, etc. No, like, if I'm Quinn Ewers, I'm not phased at all. Yes, you know, Arch Manning is there, you know, the name's there. I'm right there with you, Chip. Like, you know, everybody's getting after Cedric, you know, for his tweeting stuff. Like, y'all leave Cedric alone. He's doing his job yeah. or whatever. I don't think fans need to go after him like, oh, he doesn't have his sources. No, Ced has sources. He's just letting you know that, like, when yours don't mess. You can't have bad games, though. Like, it's your job going into 2024. Absolutely, 100%. But if you have bad games, which I don't think that's going to happen, Arch is going to be hanging around. That's just that's for every quarterback. You know what I'm saying? Like each quarterback has a leash. It just depends on how long that leash is. So, yeah, I think Quinn Ewers is fine. Um, I'm excited about him coming back. I don't think that means anything for Arch Manning's development or the patience that Arch Manning has coming in. I think he knew that there's going to be some big time guys that might be playing in front of him for a couple of years. And we're in the age of college football to where Arch Manning probably has an extra year. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he's 
going to be a freshman next year. And then if everything falls into place, you assume that Quinn Ewers will be off to the NFL after he has a terrific junior year. And then here comes the Arch Manning wave into his sophomore year. So we all know that there's a huge possibility of that not happening. But at the end of the day, man, I think everybody just needs to calm down. I think the national media can really get in the, the – Texas media people's heads or people who look or watch and get their information in Texas and think that, oh, is there something there with Arch Manning? Like, no, there isn't. He just has the Manning name. He's a five-star. He brought all the recruits with him. Quinn Ewers is the guy. And yeah, like it was Sark's fault. That 19 for 49 game against Oklahoma State. I remember people were killing me for the comments that I made about not bitching Quinn Ewers in that game. It's not Quinn Ewers' fault that Sark's calling 49 pass attempts with 20 miles per hour win and Quinn Ewers having a messed up hand with our finger, excuse me, with B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson on the squad. That's not Quinn Ewers fault. It's not. And I think that moment made Quinn Ewers better. Moments like that made Quinn Ewers realize, oh shit, I'm not as good as I think I am. I need to really get back in the lab and take this seriously. And Quinn has made it known that he felt that way. He took certain things for granted in 2022 that he doesn't take for granted now. So those moments, like you learn from those moments where you suck it up in Stillwater. And yeah, I, I think Texas is fine at the quarterback position. And, you know, right now they need to worry about guys like Trill Carter leaving, guys like, you know, Byron Murphy and Travondre Sweat leaving because that interior defense, that's a little light right now. So quarterback, fine. Other positions, not so much. Yeah, and with Vernon Broughton and Alfred Collins returning, Trill Carter, I mean, he he thinks he should be a frontline guy. I understand that, but, I mean, he's going to get a lot of reps. Now, um, you know, we'll we'll see what uh, what's going on. You know, with the Bo Davis situation, I think this is going to get resolved here pretty quickly. I know, you know, Bobby Burton, I think, tweeted that he's hearing that Bo Davis is staying. And I'm checking with sources. And one of my absolute locked in sources has not yet heard from Bo. So um, I'm I'm not saying anything yet until I hear from that source. But I've heard that Brian Kelly is like, hey, I got to know. I mean, I I don't have a defensive staff. I gotta I gotta get this um, figured out. So we'll we'll keep you posted on that. All right, uh, let's get to the right call from my man Zay Collier because we've also got picks. I went three and zero in my picks last week, by the way. But take it Damn. away, Zay. Congrats, man, because I showed in it. Uh, before we get to the right call, got to shout out the travel sponsors that helped us get to New Orleans. Domino's, Sue Patrick, Hat Creek Burger, More Clean, Leaf Landscape and Supply, Lake Cliff Golf, Cup, uh, Golf Club, Hummel Realtor, Hayes City Store, and Ice House, Pest Wranglers, Texas Orthopedics, Hoops ATX, Cover 3, Good Stock, Audio-visual consultations, Allstat Brewery, and Covert BK, who gave us the beautiful GMC Yukon to get up to New Orleans. And we got up there at a great 
time. Shout out to Covert BK, the family-owned automotive dealership that's been doing it in the greater Austin area for over 100 years. They got seven terrific brands to choose from in Cadillac, GMC, Buick, Ram, Jeep, Chrysler, and Dodge. Go to CovertBK.com for all the latest specials and inventory. Nobody beats a Covert deal. Not now, not ever. All right, the right call today. Yep, Joe, you already read my mind. The Texas Longhorns basketball team start Big 12 play tomorrow. And, hey, this is a team that I don't think is in the tournament right now. I'm going to tell you straight up. Do I think they're a tournament team? Yes. But them sitting at number 20 in the nation, no quad one wins like all these other Ruthie Poot teams beating them. That's fun and all, but you lost to Marquette. You lost to UConn. Yes, I know Dylan DeSue wasn't available, but now it's about to get real. And you got a Texas Tech team coming in who, oh, they can't wait to beat you. I know that, you know, they've had a lot of transition at coach. Now they got Grant McCaslin, who's done a good job at North Texas prior to coming to Lubbock. But, yeah, Texas, they got to be locked in tomorrow for Ronnie Terry's ball club. Tyrese Hunter, who was out against UT Arlington due to an illness, that might have been in a blessing in disguise version of the best thing possible for Ethio Horton, IT Horton ship, because you and I, we've talked about his lack of production in these last few games and about how he might get left off the rotation. Well, he had a solid game against UT Arlington, 13 points, a double-double with 10 rebounds, and he got 35 minutes. So hopefully that translates to the Big 12 to where he's getting comfortable back in the lineup. And like I continue to preach in college basketball, you need a solid nine-man, maybe potentially 10-man rotation if you want to be good especially in the Big 12. It is such a gauntlet. It is so brutal. You got small guys like Hunter and Max Acemas that might get beat up a little bit. You're going to need a lot of players in there in the rotation to keep guys, you know, as healthy and as fresh as possible when you get into the end of March and, or excuse me, the end of February, beginning of March. So uh, I'm excited about tomorrow. I mean, again, Coach McCaslin, they play D at Texas Tech, like a lot of Texas Tech teams have in the past. They still got Pop Isaacs, who is a just a guy that hasn't seen a bad shot in his life. Like, dude's averaging 16 a game. He'll shoot it from anywhere. They got Joe Toussaint from uh, West Virginia, who was playing under Higgins. Now he's their point guard, and he's averaging around 15 points and four assists a game. And then they got two other solid guards that are averaging around nine in Williams and McMillan that could put the ball on the deck and get buckets too. So they lost one of their big men earlier in the season. They definitely need him, but they will start a Warren Washington, who's a seven-footer. The horse should still be able to get what they want inside. I expect a big game from Dylan DeSue, who's been pretty solid in the four games that he's been back. Him and Caden Shedrick together, I think that's a good lineup. You know, one thing about Texas, Chip, you could play multiple lineups depending on the matchup that you have from game to game. You could go small and have an IT Horton at a three and maybe a Dylan or a Kendall Weaver at a three to go along with the other guards, Hunter and Acemas, and maybe put a Dylan Mitchell at the four or a DeSue and Shedrick at the five. Or you could go big and have a Brock Cunningham at your three, a Dylan Mitchell at your three, along with the two bigs and Shedrick and DeSue with the rest of the guards. So Coach Terry, they're still figuring stuff out, but – 
hey, Big 12 play is here. We know how tough it is. You got to win these first few games because that streak where you got to play Houston, then BYU, then Oklahoma, that's going to be an absolute brutal. And uh, Baylor, I think, is mixed in too, which Baylor, they're hype about their new arena down in Waco. So, hey, this is what it is, man. Now we can turn our focus more to basketball since the football season has ended, even though football season never ends here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. And, yeah, I'm I'm still just kind of – I don't know about this Texas basketball team. Again, they just haven't beat a quad one team yet. Uh, this won't be a quad one uh, win if they do. But I think with everybody healthy now, hopefully Tyrese Hunter is over his illness. I think they could get the Red Raiders tomorrow and one of the last times they meet that team from Lubbock. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you, Zay. I'm with you. I want to see more connectedness on this team. It bothers me that Caden Shedrick is like apparently still struggling to get up and down the floor. Um, you know, that maybe he's not in the best conditioning because of his, you know, he had the shoulder um, rehab from the surgery. He had surgeries on both shoulders. Um, and so he might not be in the best shape because he had to recover from those surgeries. But look, let's see if they can take it up a notch. Yeah. Because yeah. their front court should be one of the best in the nation. With Caden Shedrick, Dylan DeZue, and Dylan Mitchell, Texas's front court should be one of the best in the nation. They should be able to play solid defense. They should be able to take high percentage shots. Work the ball inside to these guys because they're. I, I like Caden Shedrick's moves around the basket. He's a skilled player. Dylan DeZue, I, I trust him. Dylan Mitchell, it's hit and miss, but I like his energy. I like his defense. He's getting you double doubles. Um, he can do better. He can. He can really tear it up. I mean, he he just needs to elevate his ceiling constantly because he's capable of really good things i think at the college level so let's see if they can start to put it together yeah you know tyrese hunter obviously didn't play against ut arlington but he's been a lot better you know over these last few games just by attacking taking what the defense gives them like I get everybody wants that just pure point guard because number 11's jersey is hanging in the rafters. And when we think of Texas point guard, we think of TJ. Nobody's ever going to be like that. Or DJ Augustine. I'll take DJ Augustine. Yeah, or DJ Augustine. Yeah, great point. Like nobody's ever going to be like those two ever again. The game has changed. You need scoring guards. And those guys, they were scoring guards, but you'd look up at the box score and you'd be like, damn, DJ Augustine had eight assists a game to go along with those 18 points. Damn, TJ had 11 assists to go along with his 15 points. That's not what you're going to get out of Tyrese Hunter. It just isn't. So he has to be good on defense and he has to be aggressive and take open shots when he gets them. Because when the scouting report comes in to the opposing teams, it's going to be to the, uh, to stop Max Aismas and Dylan DeSue. And then you go from there. That's what it is. 
You got to stop Max Aismas because he just shoots at such a high rate and could get his shot off on anybody. And Dylan DeSue, he could be a problem when he gets going and gets the ball in his hands, shooting that floater and then pick and pop situation. So Tyrese Hunter, you get forgot about at times. And I think he could really take advantage of that. I like the way that he's played as of late. We both love what Kendall Weaver brings to the table with his you know, intensity and his defensive presence. If he can knock down open shots, then that puts Texas in even the different you know, stratosphere when it comes to how good they can be. But again, Texas Tech, they're going to bring their all. I don't know how many times the Red Raiders are going to get the opportunity to to play the Longhorns in the upcoming years. So, yeah, we know you're going to get the best out of Grant McCaslin's team, and it should be a fun one at 7 o'clock tomorrow at the Mood. We got um, Trey Elling and Jeff Barker coming up after us, so don't go anywhere. But, Zay, let's get some picks, baby. Last week I was on fire. Um, Just, you know, pointing it out. Yeah, man, you deserve I'm it. Sure you you deserve it out. I'm sure you would have pointed out that I had the Lions plus five and a half. I had Mizzou plus five. They won outright. And Memphis steamrolled Iowa State. That was like the best week I've ever had. Jesus. You had man. Dallas minus five and a half because you always go against my Lions. you love Taylor Heineke. So you took the Falcons plus two and a half at Chicago, but you were right with the Raiders. The Raiders have been good to you and me lately. Might have to take them again this week. Um, Damian Pierce deserves a job or whatever his name is. Yeah. He deserves a job. You had him plus three and a half at Indy. They lost by three. So um, you want to go first or me? You go, man. You're hot. Let's All get right, it. I'm hot. I'm hot. I'm so hot. All right, listen. I am. I admit it. Don't don't take these picks because I'm betting with my heart this week. Okay? <laughs> I love it. I'll tell you. I'll tell you my heart picks, and then I'll tell you my if you want to win money picks. Okay. Oh no, no. Just they're all the all same. Right. They're all, right. all the same. They're the same. Listen, 13 points is a lot. I don't care if the commanders are a bunch of you know, the Island of Misfit Toys. The Cowboys on the road winning by 13 after graping. I mean, the Cowboys are going to win this game, but it's probably like 10 points. John McClain told me not to touch this game, but that's a pick with my heart. Um, I'm going to take the Lions minus three and a half at home. I hope they're pissed. I don't like that hook. I wish it was three. Um, but the Lions at home against the Vikings, minus three and a half. I'm hoping that the Lions are pissed. And you know what? Let's go Texans, baby. Texans, come on. Minus one and a half against the Colts. I don't like that pick. My common sense pick are probably would have been, well, I'll wait for your picks before I tell you. <laughs> All right. I like the picks, man. I like it. You like All right, here we go. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like it. I'm going to go Texas too, man. I got to root for the home state team, minus one and a half against the Colts. I know it's in Indianapolis, but come on, Garner Minshew, clutch time with stuff at state. I can't see it. 
Like, and I love Gardner Mitchell. I just saw the inside the NFL clip where Max Crosby's calling them little ass boy the whole game. And Gardner Mitchell's like joking about it on the sideline, talking about, yo, this Max Crosby guy, he's an angry dude. Like, I don't get why he's so angry. He keeps calling me little ass boy. I want to let him know. There might be a little ass boy out here, but I ain't little in some places. So, like, to say shit like that, you're a quarterback, dude. Like, are you? Do you not? He, he and again, he comes from the Leech, Mike Leach tree of quarterbacks. So he is like Mike Leach on the full. I mean, um, on the field, like he takes it seriously, but he has fun while doing it, and I marvel that. So, I, I when it's this time in the season, that stuff. There's a reason why Mike Leach never won championships, in my opinion. Love the dude, miss him, RIP. But there's certain things that weren't as buttoned up like they should have been. And I think Gardner Minshew, he could play into that a little bit. So I'm going to go with the Texans winning the game, taking the points, and they are in the playoffs. Are now, you filibustering? You know, there's two more picks coming. Okay, relax. Can you relax? Do I see Trey Elling? Do you see Trey Elling? I do not. So I'm going to take my black-ass time. How about that? Thank you. I was just asking. Okay, okay. just make a show. <laughs> All right. Now, we got the Chiefs plus three and a half against the Chargers, which are the Chargers playing for their coach now? Like, make this make sense for me because no Justin Herbert – why would the Chargers be favored in this game? What does Vegas know that we don't? Well, are the I, Chiefs can they improve their playoff standing at all or not? I don't think so. But because they need they, to play every they can't they can't afford to sit anybody if that's what you're getting to with how bad they've been overall. They need to ride into the playoffs with as much as momentum as possible. Like guys that have been dropping balls all year, Kadarius Tony. Marquez, Valdez, Scanley, you know, even Travis Kelsey hasn't had the same years that he has in the past. So, yeah, I'm taking the points with the Chiefs. I think that they easily could get hot during this time of the year. You can never count out Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, let me get the Chiefs plus three and a half. And last but not least, Buffalo Bills going to Miami. Minus two and a half for the Bills. Wrong team favored. I'm going with the Dolphins. Plus two and a half. Tyreek Hill, he's probably still pissed that his badass son almost burned down his house. Now oh. he has to go prove it on the field. Let me get the Dolphins, man. Which I hope they talk about that in Hard Knocks, too. Hard Knocks, I'll be watching. I need to know. Tyreek Hill, all those badass kids. That's why you need to strap the Jimmy hat on, Tyreek. Way too many kids, bro, to supervise. That stuff could happen. So I'm trying to see that on Hard Knocks, which has been pretty good, the in-season version. Is that on Tuesday nights? I think so. Yeah, that I got to get caught up. That sounds right. It's good, man. You know, what those NFL shows do, whether it's Hard Knocks Training camp or hot knocks in season it always gives you a different perspective on the coach. You know, Mike McDaniel, he's weird as hell. That, that's for sure. We always knew that, and he'll show his weirdness, but you find yourself liking the dude. You know, you find yourself 
seeing the swag and how him and Tua communicate and stuff, like, it's fascinating. It really is. And talk about another guy that kind of has a little leech about him. You know what I'm saying? Like, he just – he has fun while doing such a – stressful important job as being a head coach in the national football league like Dan Marino was getting nominated for something and while everybody's giving Dan Marino a standing ovation here Mike McDaniel in the background saying we're coming for all your records Dan (laughs) we're coming for all your records Dan get ready you know just stuff like that like I I love stuff like that he's a character all right so here's here's my two common sense picks like take take the heart out of it. If I take the heart out of it. I'm probably not touching the Commanders game. Probably not touching the Lions game. I probably would have taken the Saints minus three at home against your Taylor Heineke Falcons, and I'd probably take the Raiders minus three at home against the Broncos. My only fear there is that they have some. Yahoo, the witch is dead party for Russell Wilson getting benched and they play their ass off for Jared Stidham. And suddenly the Broncos look like some kind of wrecking machine, but I'm sticking with Detroit minus three and a half. The commanders plus 13 and the Texans minus one and a half. Trey Barker, what's going on, fellas? What's up? You made it back safe, Chip. Oh, my God. Finally. <laughs> you know, it's like the party ends and you're stuck there. Like you've cleaned up. Everyone's gone and you're stuck where the party is no longer and it kind of sucks. But how I mean, it's New Orleans, so I'm not complaining. We had great food after everything. But how, we did how- one of the longest drives back of all time. And I know oh. Zay and Trey, you guys drove back, I think, the same time that we did. Trey drove like all town. Kill me if I ever have to do that again. That I mean, the the company was great in the car. That was brutal being stuck for an hour and a half in Baton Rouge. Well, we have intruded long enough. Y'all have a great show, man. I think you're. I think you got to stick with us for the next like ten minutes, don't you, Chip? Right. Yeah. <laughs> if you'll if you'll have twenty one minutes, must be nice. Hey, and then, and, and, then, and then what he does, Barker and Trey, he comes on talking about, oh, my fault, fellas. I just got off the phone with Chris Del Conte. And you're like, oh, <laughs> come on. He starts name dropping on you. What can we do with that? What can there's, we do with that? He's a genius. There's a time to drop that conversation. It's right there when you're uh, a few minutes late to your uh, to your daily show. So kudos hey. on, on the, uh, the name pool there. If you go over to Horns 24-7, you'll see that story posted right before I came on the air. So, love y'all. Love you, fellas. Y'all have a great week. Love y'all.